What's up, guys? This is the It Ain't Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Charanson. Let's get it. Here today with Anna Ferrant. Anna is a former competitive boxer, now wearing many hats. She is the head of partnerships and marketing for Alaline Method Studio. She's the CEO of Empire Boxing and the co-founder of All City Athletics. Anna currently trains a wide range of clients through her bases of Alaline and Turf Living, and she is a guru in the space of marketing in the Vancouver community. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Love that intro for me. So good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was saying earlier, it's a work in progress, but I think every day we get a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. Sounds like I'm busy, for yeah. sure. Well, you definitely are. Yeah. Um, and I think with the intro, like we know a little bit of your background and mm-hmm. what you do, but we don't know the young Anna. So that's where Ooh. I like to start. Um, like how young? Like elementary young. Woo! Yeah, we're going way back. Okay. Um, I recently found a photo of me wearing biker shorts and a fluorescent top and loafers. So it was the 80s, obviously. So I was killing it style-wise. Yeah, I was into musical theater. Wasn't into sports, not athletic. So it was kind of a surprise that my whole career is now in fitness. But yeah, I was into song, dance, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I was I was like a regular old kid, I think. Yeah. And so with with theater, like big singer, big dancer. I mean, I like to think so. Yeah. yeah, I had like a short stint in figure skating, but I broke my ankle, so that was sort of sad. But. Yeah, I mean, a lot of musical theater. I did that up until the age of 14, and then it wasn't cool anymore. (laughs) So I kind of digressed into a completely different path, which is another uh, story we can get into. But yeah, I think I was uh, pretty extroverted. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And and did you grow up in like the Vancouver area? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Small town, Sydney, BC. Sydney? Yeah. That's Okanagan. No, nope. <laughs> that's the island. Other direction, the island. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, very small town, really beautiful, cute, quaint. Hated it, obviously, as a teenager. But now when I go back, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, really small, nice, lovely, yeah, by the ocean. Cool. Yeah. And you were there for high school as well? I was, cool. for the parts I attended. Yeah. Small, small high school. Oh, God, yeah. totally, yeah. So, you know. Everyone you- knew everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Like your typical small town, like my brother's friends were in grade 12 and they had siblings and they were with my friends. And so it was very much of that yeah. dynamic. Uh, blessing and a curse. I think in many ways, like mm-hmm. the small school environment is way healthier place to grow up, like through high school, because there's a level of appreciation for everybody. It's a lot less cliquey, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think, I don't know, it, it was like my generation maybe like the baby boomers kids that were just okay. like absolute shit disturbers. Hmm. And so our generation of kids in high school and middle school were not friendly. Like we were in cliques. Gotcha. And yeah, I think after we left, there was this like school spirit really started to happen and, and things changed. It was, I don't know what it was with that age group, but okay, yeah. Interesting. I know. And uh, you, you said you had siblings? I have an older brother. Yeah, an yeah. older brother. Yeah. 
good relationship. Yeah, I love my bro. Cool. Yeah, we were close in age. Like, he's two years, nine months, so we had, like, similar friends. He... I mean, I was getting into trouble way before he was, so I don't know. I feel like my parents were sort of shocked when I came along. Like, younger child situation. Yeah. Um, he was a little bit more covert about it. So, yeah, we were pretty close. We'd go to parties together, and, like, we would wrestle when we get drunk, and, like, we were good. We're, 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 we're still pretty close. Cool. Yeah. Um, when you say trouble, like... Yeah. Is that, like, kind of alluding to, like, the transition, like, post-high school or, like, in high school? Like, what kind of trouble? Like, grade, the transition from grade 8 to grade 9 and where I was from middle school to high school was, I mean, that was a big thing for me. Like, and, and during middle school, which I think arguably is one of the hardest times in life, grade 6, 7, 8, like, Mm -hmm. that awkward time, um... I had, you know, cliques and friends and bullying situations and stuff that was unhealthy for my self-esteem. So when I got into grade nine, I just gravitated towards the bad kids, you know, and and we took off and we, I finally, I felt, I think I just felt that sense of connection and community. It just happened to be that they were dealing drugs and (laughs) doing stuff that maybe was not ideal, you know, for a human at that age. And so, yeah, I just kind of connected with them, and we just took off for the whole entire... I don't know how detailed I can really get on this. Yeah. No, fair enough. We're unfiltered. Yeah, fair, fair. But, um, yeah, no, it's in, it's interesting, like, regardless of good or bad, like, mm-hmm. at, at that age, we're so impressionable, but we're also totally. so hungry for that sense of community. So yeah. wherever it comes from first is kind of where we lean into. For sure. Right? And I think I'm changing my narrative around how I view myself at that age, because I think for a long time I was, I would say like, oh yeah, I was a bad kid or I was up to no good without that sense of compassion and empathy for like the struggle and like the pain that I felt obviously at that age and the insecurity and all the underlying factors that really motivated me to, you know, act out or whatever you want to call it. So I'm trying to just circle back in a little bit more of an empathetic lens and understand myself from that age. Because I was, I mean, it was like high school or middle school, you know, I was on the honor roll and then it's like, I'm 14, I'm dropping acid, I'm like stealing stuff, I'm getting arrested. Like mm-hmm. it's, it was like a pretty sharp left hand turn, exit out the gift shop. So, yep. yeah. Like, so looking back on it, if you could have like maybe one message to that, like, you know, 14 year old self, what would it be? Um, I think it'd just be about like, I know it sounds so cliche, but just like that level of self-love, you know, and just understanding that I didn't have to do those things in order to like feel accepted. Right. And I just, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that. Like I just obviously didn't have that ability at that age. Um, I think I was just really mean to myself and some of the actions and the way I treated myself or the situations I put myself in or how I disrespected myself as a woman or in all those ways, like, I feel as though I would have liked to have been able to console, like, my self-esteem on that level so I didn't have to do those things, you know? Right. Is what I would tell any, like, if I had a child now or, like, someone of that age, you know? hmm Yeah. Um, my situation, like, I think at that age was a little bit different. I had, like, a mother that was very intense with her, like, coaching and, mm. like, a basketball coach and kind of forced me into right. that, like, pedigree of like competitive sport and so 
when I wanted to go out with my friends, like mm-hmm. I was in center for performance and all these things that were kind of taking me away from all these like opportunities to get into trouble. Oh, for but, sure. But like my closest friends were that friend group, you know, yeah. whether it's like with the drugs or it's like partying and all these things. And so I think of, you know, what you're doing with business and with boxing mm-hmm. post high school. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, how, how do you think like sports or like a taste of that at a younger age would have benefited you? Oh, man. You? Like... I think of it now when, so when I first got into boxing, like right after I got introduced to boxing, had a couple fights, I migrated over to Eastside Boxing Club, which was doing um, aprons for gloves, which is how I met Cam, actually. Cool. And, shout uh, out Cam Hiltz. Shout out Cam. Um, and they were running, they still do run a program for um, youth in the downtown Eastside that provides boxing, but boxing provides so much more than just fitness. And I always felt like, man, if I had that at that age, you know, mm. if I had some sort of connection or like we were saying community or something larger than what I was up to, it would have just been such a game changer. And so, yeah, I think that is part of maybe it's like my homage to myself, you know, to be able to provide that to other people. And of course, like, you know, now it's adults mm-hmm. for the most part, but there's still so much healing that happens through exercise and movement and fitness and punching things that I feel like, yeah, I get a little bit of that healing through, through providing that. Mm -hmm. I think in the space of like, you know, being in high school, like you need reward systems. Mm -hmm. And if you look at like, if you're not in sports and, you know, socially being like that super good academic student isn't socially rewarded like where do the rewards coming from come from it's like being that cool person or being you know so to have that like goal or seeing yourself constantly improving in whether it be like boxing or golf or some Mm -hmm. sort of sport it's just kind of like a a method of control to see it yo i'm getting better every single day and this is what i can yeah kind of put all my eggs into not to mention just even like the the neurochemical effects of exercise mm. you know and the positive effects that, that have you know on yeah. individuals especially at such an age where emotions are running high and depression is you know so many people fall to anxiety and depression at that age like having that outlet and having the serotonin and dopamine all those things that it provides would be I mean it's just like obvious but yeah. it's not always accessible to people and I didn't relate to team sports I didn't have you know I didn't feel comfortable in my own body like that and so for me boxing was something that was accessible in a way you know there wasn't a particular look like you didn't have to look a certain way there was a little bit like it was a bit edgier it was a bit more open-minded I didn't feel self-conscious or like that I didn't fit in Mm -hmm. so maybe we should pitch boxing to be uh, more prevalent in high schools yeah, and I, I think it's a little bit easier now, too, when you have, like, TikTok and Instagram mm-hmm. and all this tech to your disposal where kids can see, like, outside of the cliques that exist totally. in their community. That's they so see, true. like, these young guys that are super motivated in whatever their respective hustles yeah. are. But then there's also the other negative the distractions yeah. and all that. Oh, man, I'm so thankful that social media was not around for my <laughs> demise yeah. of high school. Uh, I just missed it. Thank God. Yeah, I, I was kind of so like, sorry <laughs> to everyone that's listening. That was right in the mix. Mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because even for me, like 
2012 is when I left, but like it was the start of in, like Facebook. People mm-hmm. weren't, weren't really using Instagram. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. I'm like coaching high school kids now, and it's like you can't get their attention for no. more than seven seconds or 15 or whatever it is, because that's wild. what the TikToks are doing. Yeah. You know? So it's Such crazy. It's a weird time to be alive. It really is. Yeah. Um, so after high school, mm-hmm. like what was what was that journey like? Um. So. You know, I kind of had multiple bottoms in my addiction, kind of teenage years. And then I I had a really, what I thought at the time was like a really good idea, mm. which that which was going to solve like all of my substance abuse problems. And it was to be an actor, which mm. is not <laughs> like sometimes you got to do the emotional work to help like solve that. But I was like, no, I'm just going to go, like, to Vancouver and go to film school and just, like, not necessarily address the issue that I'm potentially an alcoholic at the age of 19. So I went anyway and went to Vancouver Film School. Hmm. I lasted three months before I broke my leg in half. Hmm. Yeah. And still kept drinking. Like, still was like, no, 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 it's fine. I just, you know, I just fell down a flight of stairs totally sober which was obviously a lie but just like there's layers of self-delusion that happen at that point keep trying to like keep the dream alive you know showing up to school not sober and um i ended up going on a bender for like five days my family was trying to find me Hmm. my friends that i lived with at the at that time were looking for me and they had a full-blown intervention they tracked me down which to this day i'm like we didn't have like cell phones in that way or like Instagram yeah. to find me. I honestly don't know how they found me, but they found me, tracked me down, came in, had a full blown intervention. I was like, no, not a chance. Like get get the fuck out of here pretty much, which is also harsh. These are like my, my bestest friends of all time. Yeah. Another layer, layer to addiction, right? You're just like deflecting any support. And then I just kept bouncing from like, bar to bar to bar and I got to this house and my mom called again I'm like how the fuck did you find me right. like what is what is this but moms are like that right like they will hunt you intuition down intuition and love yeah and she called and she was just like you know you don't have to do this and I was like on my shit being like no I got this I got a job I you know just deflect 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 and then I hung up the phone and I had what I like to call like a moment of clarity which is just like we have them all the time. Like the door opens, the window opens, there's like a small crack in your life that an opportunity is coming. And it was so small and she called back and she was like, you don't have to do this anymore. And for whatever reason in that moment, I was like, okay. And it was like the first time that I legitimately just surrendered to the support. Mm -hmm. I didn't fight it. I didn't have an excuse. I didn't have like, you know, a backup plan. I was like, okay. And that moment of surrender cascaded an entire life change for me. Like, little did I know my friends had already, like, packed up my shit. But by the time I got to the house, it was already packed up. I was on a ferry. I was home. And I was in rehab, like, three days later. Mm. So it was just, like, a domino effect. And I think that happens, like, especially in addiction, you know, those windows of opportunity open. But unless they're capitalized on, they often just shut because we rationalize it. And we deflect and move on and like for the next, you know, opportunity to get high or get drunk. And so, yeah, I was really fortunate that I said yes. And I ended up in treatment on the island for, I mean, I was there for like four months. And then I stayed there in the hometown 
for another nine months in sobriety. And then I came back to Vancouver just before my one year sober and reinvented my life here. Okay. Yeah. Good for you for making that that move. And I think, you know, a lot of people here, I think when it comes to like rehab, they hear about, you know, like the celebrity rehab stories. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people, including myself, I don't really know what the process is like mm. in that space. Oh, man. And I can only imagine like it's, it can be harsh at times. Oh, yeah. Right? Like it is full on. Like they bring your family in and your family sits down and tells you face to face like all the ways that your addiction affected mm-hmm. them. It is like humbling as fuck for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and it doesn't always work for people. That's the thing. That's the heartbreaking thing about addiction is it doesn't, I was ready for whatever reason. I was so, it was almost like a sense of relief that it was finally over because I just couldn't do it myself. I needed that intervention. I needed like something to take me out of my situation, Mm -hmm. but I did truly want it. And a lot of the times people don't, or they're not ready, or they're not ready to deal with the things that drove them to drink in the first place, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, so you're back, what, you're back at home. This is... I know, I, well, I moved to Vancouver and my family's from the island. So okay. I came back to Vancouver and then I was like sober and in like a whole new life, whole new set yeah. of friends, whole new trajectory. Like I spent 10 years solid working in like mental health and addictions in my volunteer work, trying to give back to the organization and the programs that helped me get sober in Vancouver. And through that, I ended up working, I just, I don't know why, but I always ended up as someone's right hand that owned a business. So in a variety of different sectors, it was, I was the executive assistant for someone in venture capital. And then I was, you know, helping someone that runs a social enterprise in restaurant in downtown Eastside. And then it was, you know, fashion, did that for four years. So much learning. So much learning and working for entrepreneurs and, and just learning business and none of these people went to school like none of these people went to business school they were just like the school of life and like on their hustle or on their thing right and I learned so much just being alongside of them like for me that was my school like I never I never even graduated I never went to college I'm in college now but like I didn't have that formalized training it was like all living breathing and eating the shit and seeing how people run their businesses seeing the best of it and also seeing the worst of it Mm -hmm. and being like "Mm mm-mm that's not how I would talk to my staff. That's not how I would be in relationship with other businesses. So I just learned so much that by the time I started my own company, I was like, no, I know. You know, I had the confidence yep. to be able to do that. So like if, if you could summarize that to some degree, like what would you say are like the common things that like don't work in in like that kind of entrepreneurial space oh, regardless man. of the business? Micromanaging. Like yeah. people not being able to separate themselves from the product or the business Mm. and having to be not trusting their staff. And like, trust me, I get it. Like you have a vision, you have your baby, you want it to look a certain way, but if you can't step away and scale it, Mm. it's never, I mean, in my opinion, it's not, maybe it'll grow, but the people that work there, I don't know, like they're not going to like you. Like nobody likes to be micromanaged. You have to empower, like, the people of underneath Of course, for... yeah. Like, these people are working for you to make your business money. Yeah. Like, if you don't respect them and allow them to do that in the way that they can, that's, like, potentially better than the way you can. Right. And that's the hardest thing is, like, separating your ego, right? Like, 
especially like nowadays it's like i don't i'm not on tiktok like i don't know right. i need young people working around me so that i can learn like how to stay relevant and current in what's happening in social media so mm-hmm. i think for me that was the biggest thing is like that micromanagement you know flying in hot coming into a room trying to pick shit apart pissing everyone off and like yeah. just morale is down like everybody's talking about the owner or the founder behind their back yeah and it's yeah it's an interesting and like the owner like is taking on so much and spreads so thin and just like trying to do too many things like mm. that was one and yeah just too many projects done well but not enough projects done amazing mm. so it's like having their fingers in 18 things you know because entrepreneurs it's like we gotta do this we gotta do this we gotta do this and now i'm like no oh shit yeah. scale it down and do like one or two things amazing yeah but that's my philosophy like obviously like some people are different but yeah i've definitely scaled back on having to be a part of too many things that's awesome yeah and then i i guess it would be the inverse of that like people that are really good um, relation like build mm. really good relationships internally everything and like what else is like something that would be really good that you see amongst all the successful businesses um I think it's honestly I think you nailed it like relationships but not just with staff with other businesses and other vendors and people you collaborate with and for me I feel like that's been my biggest source of inspiration and like win-win situations, you know, and not feeling that sense of competition between even businesses that are potentially competing, like learning stuff from other people and having good relationships with people on like, even like the person that delivers, like company that you work with that delivers your toilet paper or whatever it is. I think that to me has created much more success than the opposite, you know? (laughs) So for, yeah, all, all relationships and community. For sure. Before your first venture, which sort of, um, or sort of before your your first like founding or your first personal venture, Mm -hmm. what sort of um, business relationship or job did you have that you learned the most from, do you think? Um, I think it was my, I was, so she's actually, I consider her like my life mentor. I have a matching tattoo, she has it too. I mean, she's just like, she just doesn't take no shit, man. And mm. she was <laughs> like, anytime I've had, so I worked for her, her for four years and then we became like super close. I consider her like a sister and I'll call her. And she just has the ability to cut through the bullshit and just make me kind of stand up for myself a little bit more. And whether that's with like, you know, working in a male dominated industry mm. and just like finding my voice and just not being apologetic about being assertive and that is a huge lesson because i think you know in boxing and in life being assertive and being a female there's like often a response to that yeah you know i say assertive people say aggressive but i'm like no it's actually assertive Mm -hmm. and if i was a dude would it be different like possibly so she's definitely taught me that and how to be a woman in business yeah for sure and i think i like i know kind of the answer to this already but <laughs> i'm going to ask it anyways in terms of like being a female in the space the most problematic or the most common barrier in terms of like communication 
Like, what would that be exactly? Just not having your voice heard? Yeah, or just having too many of the other voices. Yeah. Just talking over you or... Yeah, just the the scales are just tipped a little bit too Mm -hmm. in one way, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, boxing for sure is very male-dominated. I would say I I was fortunate enough that both my coaches, for the most part, were very female-forward. And Mm -hmm. in, in terms of, like, who, how they, you know, just how they treated their athletes... Um, one more than others, for sure. Uh, but it wasn't until I got behind the scenes and was on the board or was in starting to get into promotions that I really saw the politics and the disproportionate representation, mm-hmm. not just for females, but of other types, all types of people. Um, and I think boxing has some room to grow. I mean, a lot of sports do, yeah, right? I for think sure. all of them. Yeah. It's just the, I mean, you know, it's just the one sport that I have the most experience with and I'm sure it goes across the board yeah it's interesting I think in a lot of like especially when it comes to representation Mm -hmm. and diversity and like gender equity the higher up you go in the rankings of any sport you start to see its true colors oh yeah you're like this isn't anything like the people that are competing at the lowest level right yeah and it kind of bummed me out because I started having to sit in these meetings and like hash out all these conflicts and all this drama and I'm like, the athletes are the ones that suffer, and they have nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with it. It's like egos and all this other shit, and it's just like, it's, yeah, it's a bummer, man, but they get affected the most. You know, like people pulling people from fights and being like, my fighter's never going to fight on that show because of this. That happened 20 years ago, or mm. just ridiculous shit. I'm like, yeah, just like personal vendettas. Ass and... adults? Like, yeah. what is happening? Is bananas. So yeah, I only spent a two-year term as a vice president on that board, and then I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't. Mm. I can't anymore. So and being involved in professional boxing, there's just like so much. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what came first for you? Was it All City or mm-hmm. Empire? Yeah, it was All City. Yeah. Yeah, it was born out of. Um, so when we were at Eastside Boxing, Aprons for Gloves, that's where I met Jordan. So we were both volunteering for that um, tournament, which was amazing. And then we started training together, and we kind of noticed that, at least at that time, there was competitive boxing, like a boxing gym, legit boxing gym, and then there was boxer size. But there was no, like, middle ground, you know? There was, like, chains and, like, just turning out, like, punch into the beat, and then there was, like, getting punched in the face. Interesting. We really saw the opportunity to bring legitimate boxing skills to people that don't want to get punched in the face which is a large demographic right and so yeah we just merged the two and branded it you know we went to new york we toured we went to all the best boxing gyms in new york and kind of gained some inspiration and branded it to just be like fun vibey you know still learning something killer workout and yeah just packaged the product there and we launched it in 2012 opened the Gaston space, I think in 2016. And then I actually just sold it to Jordan uh, in May of last year. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting with um, All City. Um, I think, you know, you said 2012 is when you started. I wasn't even really in. Like how old were you, like 10? I was was grade (laughs) 12, I was grade 12. But um, 
in that time, I knew nothing about Vancouver studios, mm, right? And yeah. so, like, coming into um, working in studios, I think for me, the first time was probably 2018 or 19. Mm-hmm. And before that, till now, like, I think there's a lot of studios that have come and gone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, things that have been hot and trending. But mm-hmm. the one thing that stays consistent is All City. Yeah. And you hear about it all the time. So you guys really built a special space yeah, there. Yeah, I feel that yeah. for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. it's definitely something I've been proud of. And it's interesting to have that full spectrum of like seven years, I think, in business, at least, or eight. And to leave something that you create. Yeah. It's a whole other, this is full circle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To be in the inception and then to wrap it up and and divorce myself of it so that it, it it's its own thing it yeah. has nothing to do with me and i knew that pretty quickly getting into it i realized that if it was about me and jordan it doesn't um it, it can't take a life on of itself right and so building up other people building up other instructors allowing the community to create and like stepping back i was like ah, oh, this is so cool and the district was like that too it wasn't just about Jian and ali you would see all these relationships form in the gym and like Mm -hmm. people that are together, like couples and people that are like still super close and like they wouldn't text me to go hang out. They would just have their own crew. And I'm like, I love this. Like I don't need to be there. Like I love watching that create. Like for me, that was the definition of success. So like whether I'm there or not, I hope that that continues, you know, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then with Empire, yeah. So is that is that of the last few years? Yeah. So we actually started a, um, one called Alliance Boxing. Okay. And then, you know, typical boxing fashion, we had a fallout with one of our um, partners. Okay. So sadly, Alliance had to be laid to rest. I really love the logo. Mm. And uh, born out of that, me and one of the partners moved on to start Empire with another partner who was more in the sports technology arena to create empire which is you know similar in the sense that we want to create professional you know platform for professional boxing but we also Mm -hmm. want to bring in that digital component which is in vancouver not something that's happening so just making like good quality productions for live stream but also just like creating those stories about the boxers the docuseries like all the really fun content and just tying that into the brand into the promotion company so that was born after yeah but covid i mean nobody really wants to talk about it but it definitely puts a damper on events absolutely and professional sports but i think having like that you know streaming platform at the front of the mind Mm -hmm. and like the tech side of things yeah you know gives you an ability to pivot to totally. other people we did, shut it down. We did do yeah. two shows during COVID. I actually think cool. the amateur one we produced was our test one, and it was the first live stream show like that was on live stream since COVID. And it was like putting that on back when like the the you know Health BC would call you and be like, mm, you actually need to swap out that cleaner because uh, COVID on canvas, um, doesn't, needs to be cleaned with some other, like, yeah. I'm not even joking you. It was 73 page policies oh, yeah. that I, like, I can't even like, and then my business partner, we were about the day before the event and we're talking WorkSafe BC, Health Canada, Health BC, mm-hmm. every single governing body has combed through that thing. 
And the day before, he's like, I was exposed to COVID and I can't be there. Oh. So you need to handle the whole thing. Jeez. I was like, I almost, I had, like had to hang up the phone. But every human that was in that building, I knew exactly where they were at what time and what they touched and what direction they walked in. Jeez. Like it was just bananas. Yeah. Yeah. It almost killed me, but we pulled it off. <laughs> what about like the, so I'm starting to learn a bit about like UFC and like mm-hmm. what it takes to organize a fight. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of, yeah, like where do you start? Dude, it is. So we've even like tossed around the idea of doing a docuseries about putting on a show. I would love it. Because it is insane. Like the last show that we had, like down to the wire. Our, so we had a, a belt. We were doing the Western Canadian title um, belt. Mm. Like big deal to have one in in the province. Uh, the guy who was supposed to fight, uh, Quinnett's guy, does one of his scans and like there's something in his brain and he can't fight. Like terrible, mm. such a bummer. We're talking like four days before the fight. So we have to find another person, which is not easy. It's COVID, so we can only match people in our own country. Mm-hmm. Also insane, because normally we're flying people in from like Mexico or wherever. Yeah. So we find the guy and then it's like, okay, two days before, we have to get that fight approved by the commission. So we need all of his stats. He has to go get his medical. It's like no doctor's offices are opening. Mm. You have to like book an appointment, COVID. So we're like, fuck, we'll fly him out a day early and then we'll try and find appointments in Vancouver. So we're calling favors. My naturopath did his blood work. Mm. Like we were like finding, like picking him up, doing all of his stuff and then getting it all rushed on the phone to have it in so that the commission could approve it two hours before weigh-ins. Wow. And it's just bananas. Yeah. Like just like one thing after another after another. Like, and you are just like flying by the seat of your pants. Hmm. So yeah, it starts with mostly, I mean, venue is going to dictate, you know, the amount of people and the amount of people is going to most of the time dictate your budget and your budget is going to dictate your purses, which dictates your fights. And then you have to work from there. Purses meaning? Uh, like prize fighting. So gotcha. the purses okay. like for the fighters. Cool. So we work with a matchmaker. One of my business partners is matchmaking, but it takes years. Like this shit takes years to mm. like learn relationships and like the politics of boxing. And you just can't walk in and like try and match up a bunch of fighters. So usually they work with matchmakers to help support them. Yeah. So yeah, from there we usually, I mean, when you want to, in my opinion, build something from the ground up, I think you need to support the people in your community. So we pick three or four boxers, professional boxers in BC that we want to help grow. And also in return, they're bringing their, you know, group of people to the fight to support them. So Mm -hmm. it helps us grow. So starting there and then bringing in people to fight them. Cool. How do do we shape up like locally, like compared to like the globe? Oh, no, BC. Yeah. Work in progress. Yeah, it's East Coast, like Montreal, Toronto is very dominant. Yeah. Um, Edmonton, it would be second, I think. Interesting. Um, but one of the promoters out there, I think, has stopped for a bit. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, Edmonton, Calgary, and then it's tough. Like Vancouver doesn't have a huge roster of people to mm-hmm. pull from professionally. And then, you know, with the Olympics and that whole thing, like the boxing being pulled from the Olympics. 
Mm. Um, right. For us, we were like, oh. For well, all these sports like golf and rugby sevens. It's yeah. Like, it's backwards. It's so weird. Yeah. But I mean, who knows? There's lots of opinions on when it's going to come back. But at least yeah. for the next four years, we're like, well, there's there's a window for boxing, right? Like, there's not like, it's for mostly for like Olympics. Like, most of the time you don't see people like that are 38 years old in the Olympics for boxing. But professional is a little different. So we're hoping that maybe we can transition some of those people that had goals of going to the Olympics to be like, hey, well, now we've got this professional platform. What if you come and turn pro Hmm. instead? Because, I mean, the Olympics is one of those things. It's like, well, what do you, what happens after? Right. Right? Well, usually you turn pro or you could just turn pro and like not go to the Olympics. Absolutely. You know? So depends on what your goals are. No, those great opportunities you guys are providing that way. Yeah, so yeah. hoping, I mean, again, like COVID's been really challenging. We had a date in February, but with capacity limits, it's just not feasible. Like, it's not a cheap thing to do. And you need capacity, you need revenue hmm. to come through. So we're hoping June is our next date. I'm like, come on, like summer, no COVID, right? Like, I feel like that's like a pretty safe bet. Yep. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So I think, I think we're headed time. in the right direction. I like that. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Um, in terms of like professional boxing, how many fights can you do in a year? Um, well, if you're Canelo, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I don't know. I would say like, like big major fights. It depends, right? Like some of those guys is like two. Yeah. You know, three, okay. depending. Yeah. Because you have to have, like, a big camp before every yeah. fight. Yeah. I mean, so. it depends. I don't know. Like, a lot of people in Mexico fight all, all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's also mm-hmm. way more, there's just a lot more opportunities. Like, there's just, it's way more embedded in their culture. So, yeah. I think it's just, like, there's just way more times to fight. But, yeah, I think if you're, I mean, the idea is, like, if you're fight ready, your camp could be six weeks. It's not like it has okay. to be, like, you know what I mean? But it's just, yeah. like, for just getting those big opportunities. Like there's a very small percentage of the population of boxers that are really at that like Canelo, Triple G, like that, you know, yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. And a, a question that um, just with with regards to like the evolution of the game, mm-hmm. I think that like injury specifically, you know, head injuries and Mm -hmm. CTE it's like Mm -hmm. such a buzzword in the space of like people that don't play football but want to talk about football right so like my question comes from like other contact sports is Mm -hmm. like how has the game changed in regards to like practice and like maybe training um maybe rules wise to kind of like combat like that information well I think awareness for sure you know and it comes down to like also, it comes down to matchmakers and commissions allowing fights that are, like, mismatched, you know, where there's, mm-hmm. like, a more of an opportunity for someone to get injured. And that is, like, a real fucking concern yeah. that people need to be aware of, you know? Like, making a matchup where someone's had four knockouts in the last, like, two years or in the last, like, of their four fights. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, just that awareness and, and being way more diligent about it in terms of making those matches and feeling confident to make them. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so many people get injured when there's mismatches and, and that's part of the politics of boxing when they want to bring someone up, they're not matching them with like, there's an A side and a B side. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, gotcha. Yeah. It's uh we try, it's not always a perfect 
science, but I think I find fights more entertaining when they're more evenly matched. Mm-hmm. You know, like a first round knockout, it's like cool. Yeah. You know, like you just know that obviously one guy was way better. Yeah. So, yeah. And you paid a ton of money to watch totally five, ten minutes. Yeah. 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 So we ideally we would find matches that are like pretty even. But again, when you're matching just in one country, it is really hard because Absolutely. there isn't a huge pool to draw from. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then in terms of like development for boxing at the grassroots, mm-hmm. like what kind of initiatives do you think would be like best to kind of support the growth of boxing in our province? Um, I think it has to start with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I think just making those programs more accessible. Um, sports are expensive. Yeah. You know, and as you know, like if you don't have certain means and you don't have ex- like accessibility to it, like it's hard. Um, maybe boxing's like less expensive, but there's still like trips and medicals and going totally. to provincials and all that kind of shit. So if there was more funded, government funded programs or, uh, you know, the ability for those kind of sports to be accessible, not just, but also to like girls, you know, young girls or, you know, any gender to be able to try boxing, I think at a young age that helps develop the sport for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like my at the grassroots, I was more of a basketball player than mm. I was a football player. And mm-hmm. so what I know of like the grassroots development model for basketball is based on like AAU systems and right. like comparing like club basketball in Canada to club basketball in the States, like the funding is like night and day. Yeah. It's like government funding or every team is like a mm-hmm. 401k or like a you know, a nonprofit organization. Right. So these companies like Nike, Adidas, they can just throw money yeah, at the setup. grassroots. And in Canada, there seems to be like a huge resistance for that sort of support coming hmm. from government. It's like, there's a lot going into hockey. Yeah. And then everything um, else, it's like, you got to kind of fund it yourself. it's hard to convince, like even with Eastside, like it, when we were getting the permits from the city, it's like, well, why? Like explain to us how teaching kids how to fight is actually like good for them. Yeah. And there's not a lot of awareness about martial arts in terms of developing that practice and what it actually provides versus like there's a very small percentage of those kids that would be using, if any of them, their skills for something negative. Right. You know, most of the time it teaches you self-control. It teaches you to be confident in your body. It teaches you to not want to be in that situation. Totally. But it has a bit of a bad rap just from people's you know, the stigma of it or just their assumption of the sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, like education is really like the upstream approach to Mm -hmm. like our issue here. Agreed. With all sports. Yeah. Yeah. But they have the power to change people. Like I have seen some amazing shit and I'm sure you have too. So Mm -hmm. I definitely am an advocate for sports for anyone that needs, needs them or wants them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's somebody out there that has the power to make the difference. Yeah. Hope you're tuning in. And, Send them our way. You know, we poked a certain button. Um, yeah, like moving into Alaline. Yeah. Um, I like how you say it. Yeah. <laughs> st- st- stands for uh, alignment. alignment. Yeah. Um, what's that about? Um, so Alaline is the birth child of two of my favorite humans, Taryn and Katie. Cool. And it's a Pilates method a certification program. So I'm also certified in Pilates through them. And during the pandemic, Katie, well, Katie created the the certification, but they started an on-demand platform. So amazing. Uh, So doing just like the on-demand Pilates, Taryn's a kinesiologist. So she also does strength and conditioning, hit, 
all that kind of stuff. And I've known Katie like six, seven years. She was one of my first clients. I trained her boxing. She's just like the sweetest, loveliest lady. And then she'll just punch me so hard. Mm. The dichotomy is my favorite. <laughs> and I trained her up until she was nine months pregnant with her second child. And I'm telling you, with the extra baby, it was like painful, mm. the punches. Yeah, a little. Oh, yeah. A little, a little extra weight. Yeah. So they both love boxing. And, you know, after I left All City, there was this little transition time where I kind of just felt like without home, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually call it the House of Aline, and they opened up their house to me, and they were like, you know, if you want to come and do your privates here, and they were just like very sweet about it, and you know, if you want to do the certification, and you know, little nudges here and there, and I did it, and typically Pilates and slower types of movement mm-hmm. elicit like rage. like you know what I mean like go to a Legree class and talk to me after like so it was an interesting journey for me to dip into a style of movement that was very counterintuitive to what I typically understand myself Mm -hmm. as like boxing fits with my narrative or my like experience of the world interesting yeah so doing something that was like slow and connecting and more integrated and all these like a little bit more like of a feminine energy if you even want to call it that but just yeah it was wild and I experienced just a different side of myself where I realized that oh man like movement at least at this stage in the game for me has to be holistic it can't just be fucking go like go go forwards 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 and without the respect of like having this swing the other way so once I started to integrate like breathing and breath and meditation and like slowing down I I was like, oh my God, this is like a whole other side of myself. And it brought a whole other type of healing. And I think both are so important, right? Like Mm -hmm. the hard, the fast, but then also the slow and the soft. And so I really credit them to allowing me to feel that part of myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting with, um, again, these are basketball references, Mm -hmm. but I've always noticed in like the power sports basketball like i'm sure boxing is the same football mm-hmm. um the best players are the ones that have like multiple speeds you might yeah. not be the fastest you might not be the slowest yeah. but you have the ability to change your speed and be so fluid without Absolutely. like throughout that yeah. and so guys like shaquille o'neal um lebron james like they all do these things in secrecy and they mm. they're because that that was their like x factor they didn't want to tell yeah, people yeah, yeah. but they all have the mega reformer at home yeah, yeah, yeah. or Shaq was doing ballet <clears throat> mm-hmm. and when i started researching these guys and learning kind of about their habits i started well maybe i should take this like legree class maybe i should go to pilates totally. and honestly like you're saying like that balance mm-hmm. the hardest thing i've ever done is okay. like to humble myself be amongst like you know this incredible feminine energy if mm-hmm. you want to call it that and my game improved significantly For it's sure. like um yeah giving you those like multiple speeds and having that fluidity is just mm-hmm. such a different experience and i think it's because we are not one-dimensional beings like we are multi-dimensional we have different sides to ourselves we're not you know one day we're one way one hour we're another way and i think it's like honoring the human experience to just really tap into all sides of yourself you know Mm -hmm. and explore yourself differently in different ways so yeah I love them for it and that's where I do most of my privates out of their studio in Gastown 
we're going to be launching classes there. And then we just started an on-demand boxing that's going to be on their platform as well. Awesome. Plus, I'm doing their sort of marketing and sponsorships as well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it York Athletics? Oh, love them. Yeah. Um, so I, I see you rocking their shoes all the time. All day long. So yeah. um, that's one of your partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, what? They're, are they Vancouver-based? Yeah, they started in Boston. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I met them. I was in Portland, and I found their shoes. And they didn't have dude sizes. And, of course, Jordan was jealous. So when we got back to Vancouver, I reached out on Instagram. I was like, hey, do you guys ship to Canada? And, like, do you carry men's shoes? Um, we'd love to have them. They are like, no, we don't ship to Canada. And I was like, not good enough. So I sent them yeah. an e- email, said it again. I was like, hey, I can do a bulk order. Like... We're a couple trainers here, blah, blah, blah. And someone read it and, like, didn't really respond. And I was like, mm, that's not it. Yeah. And then the owner read it, and he got back, and he was like, no, like, 100%. Yeah. And he's like... Uh, Light bulb. We... Yeah, he's, he asked if he could fly me down to launch their women's campaign. Awesome. So I went down to Portland, did their first shoot for their women's line with them, and then we've just been super tight ever since. And then they started uh, shipping to Canada, which opened up the market here, and we're, I think, number two. I think it goes Boston, L.A., Vancouver for sales. Nice. Yeah. Okay, that's really cool. And that's, like, full on because we just, like, didn't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing. They're a small, like, small family-run business. Um, And, yeah, during COVID, I think they really did suffer because a lot of the e-commerce businesses that were already only doing direct-to-consumer – when everyone pivoted to online, mm. they got they just didn't have the budgets in terms of like ad space or right. covering shipping or how fast everyone else was that had you know that pivoted that already had like these huge enormous budgets behind them. So mm-hmm. I love them, support them all the time. Check That's them out. Awesome. Shout out York. Yeah, shout out promo code Anna times YM. Yeah, we'll we'll throw that on the YouTube. Yep, for sure. <laughs> um, in closing, yeah, a couple of like fun like rapid. Fire. I'm sure you've heard like G's check-in questions. They're oh. kind of similar. Okay. Um, word association first is like if I say like a word <clears throat> or a phrase, like what it means to you. Okay. Um, the first one is. It's not like charades, is it? Not really. Okay, cause no. I get really shouty. Um, trauma-informed movement. Mm, what does that mean to me? Yeah. Um, I think it's as a teacher or as an individual? Maybe as a teacher. As a teacher, I think it's about allowing people to be in choice about their own bodies. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious about that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I notice that a lot, and Eileen is very good at that, in just how we create the opportunity for people to discover within themselves what feels comfortable, without creating the space to tell them what to do necessarily, you know, without a variety of options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about just wellness? Hmm, wellness. Um, wellness, the words integrated come to mind. Holistic. Yeah, integrated. All elements. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, if you could live inside of any movie, mm. what movie would it be and why? Oh no. Um, so many just come to mind, and then I'm like, I do not want to live inside of Fight Club. Like, yeah, some yeah. some great movies, but like in terms yeah, of like I'm the like living lifestyle. space, the environment. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, maybe the Avatar movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. That's up there for yeah, me that's too. Yeah, kind of lovely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything with dogs too. Yeah. Yeah, I'd live there. Cool. Yeah. Um. Your number one celebrity and why? Like in what way? <laughs> like who do you who do you look up to the most? Oh, celebrity that I look up to? Yeah. Mm. Could be friend or figure, local celeb. Local celeb. You know I'm gonna say Gian, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly I have no idea. I don't know if I have like a celebrity crush. That's, that's fair. Yeah. That's probably healthy. Who's yours? Oh. I'm a big Leo DiCaprio fan. Ah, uh, yeah. nice. Um, so much range. Yeah. Uh, he is a great actor. On, if I were to choose a boxer, Clarissa Shields. Okay. Her energy. Have you seen? I haven't. Okay, no. you I'm gotta watch the documentary T Rex. It's her documentary. She was two-time gold uh, U.S. boxing uh, Olympic champion. Cool. And then turned pro. And the documentary is all about, like, the lack of sponsorship for female black athletes mm. in the Olympics and why she turned pro. She's in Flint, Michigan, and she's just fucking powerhouse. Awesome. Yeah. You look her up, her energy all day. T-Rex. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Cool. She's actually, uh, we did a mural in All City, um, and she reposted it. One day we tagged her in it, she reposted cool. it. Yeah, it was pretty special. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I'm wishing you all the best yeah. with um, Empire Boxing. Thank you. With all your work at Aline, yeah. at Turf, and all the future ventures that are to come for you. Thanks for um, having me. Really excited about your upcoming marriage as well. Uh, me and, too. Um, it was amazing to have you on the podcast. So Super good. insightful, and I'm sure everybody has something different they'll take from it. So. Cool. Thanks so much yeah. for having me.